Life throws many things at us that are unreasonable. Sometimes we get put in a position where we cannot ignore them and we must act. We must take a stand and we must deal with the unreasonable things which have been forced into our lives. We know that sin breeds sin. We know that chaos begets chaos. And we know that unreasonable behaviors often lead to more unreasonable reactions. However, this is not how God wants us to live as his people. So what do we do whenever we're faced with an impossible riddle? When somebody forces us to make a decision about something which is totally irrational and there is no honest way to persevere, or at least it seems like there's no honest way to persevere if we're only limited to the things of the world. Today, we're going to be talking about the question of how we navigate murky situations when the only rule that we are handed is the rule of chaos. Because this is often how the world works. It wants to only hand us the rule of chaos, the rule of sin, the rule of death. And if we're only stuck with what the world hand us, well, then we're going to be in a bad place. Today we're going to be looking at the Babylonian exile and we're going to be going to the book of Daniel chapter 2 where Daniel is handed an impossible riddle. Now we in life, we are handed impossible riddles from time to time. And the answer to how we solve these moments is found at the heart of our faith. And as we get towards the end of this message, you'll see some disciplines which really help Daniel get through this that we can apply to our own lives whenever we get these impossible situations. But essentially, the antidote to the games of chaos can only be found when we look beyond this world to a God who is bigger than our circumstances and to a God whose wisdom transcends our worldly limitations. Now that seems very abstract and kind of out there. There are some very practical disciplines that we can employ. We'll get to all those towards the end of this, but for now, let us open up in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to come together. Lord, wherever we may be, I pray that you open up our hearts and minds to receive your wisdom, your strength, your encouragement. Lord, make each and every one of us a blessing so that we can be blessings to those around us. Lord, put people in our pathway that we may minister to them, and let us be blessed as we come to the book of Daniel. We ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. So again, thank you for joining me. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor here at Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. And today we're going to be continuing on our study of Daniel, and we're going to Daniel chapter 2. Now before I read Daniel chapter 2, I want to point out that this really is going to present us with an examination of human behavior. As we go through Daniel 2, I want you to pay attention to Nebuchadnezzar, his distress over a dream, and how... The distress over a dream, something which are often forgotten in life, it's escalated into a violent scene where there are no rules other than the rule of death. This clearly is not how God wants his people to live. This isn't how God wants us to walk through life. We, we're not supposed to be walking on this earth with a constant cloud of chaos over our head. And as the chapter unfolds, we see God giving Daniel eyes to see and ears to hear. And these really are an unearthly gift that allow Daniel to forego the rule of chaos and grasp on to the rule of truth. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. So just pay attention to all those behavioral things which go on in this chapter. Let us turn now to the book of Daniel, chapter 2. In the second year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed such dreams that his spirit was troubled and his mind left him. So the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. And when they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have such a dream that my spirit is troubled by the desire to understand it. The Chaldeans said to the king, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will reveal the interpretation. The king answered the Chaldeans, 
This is a public decree. If you do not tell me both the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you do tell me the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. In verse 7, for a second time they answered him, Let the king first tell his servants the dream. Then we can give its interpretation. The king answered them, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time, because I can see. I have firmly decreed, if you do not tell me the dream, there is but only one verdict for you. You have agreed to speak lying and misleading words to me until things take a turn. Therefore, tell me the dream, or I shall know that you cannot give me its interpretation. So what we have there, and forgive me that last verse, I gave you the negative version of it, but he says, I know that you can give me the interpretation if you can tell me the dream. We, we find in this verse here that Nebuchadnezzar has presented them with an impossible situation. Nebuchadnezzar has come and insisted they interpret a dream, which is a hard enough thing to do anyways. If you could imagine a loved one, a family member, someone you work with, because Nebuchadnezzar is kind of their boss. Um, he relies on them for counsel, but at this moment, he's kind of accusing their counsel of being bad. And he says, hey, come in, you interpret this dream or I'll kill you. But on top of that, I'm not even going to tell you what the dream is. you got to figure out what the dream is on your own. This is impossible. He's asking them to read his mind. You know, this is something which just seems crazy. Now, there is ultimately an antidote to this impossible situation. And it's going to kind of seem on the nose, but at the same time, it's not one that is easy. It's not an easy one at all. In verse 10, the Chaldeans answered the king, There is no one on earth who can reveal what the king demands. In fact, no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king is asking is too difficult, and no one can reveal it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with mortals. Now, because of this, the king flew into a violent rage and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. The decree was issued, and the wise men were all about to be executed. And they went out and they looked for Daniel and his companions to execute them. Then Daniel responded with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the king's chief executioner, who had gone out to execute the wise men of Babylon. In verse 15, he asked Arioch, the royal official, why is this decree of the king so urgent? And Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. So Daniel went in and requested that the king give him time and he would tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his home and informed his companions, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And we know those also by the names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And of course, Daniel's name is also Belteshazzar. But back to verse 18. In verse 18, Daniel told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions with the rest of the wise men of Babylon might not perish. And in verse 19, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night, and Daniel was blessed by the God of heaven. Or I should say, and Daniel then blessed the God of heaven. Daniel knows to give credit where credit is due. And in verse 20, we find Daniel's blessing. Daniel said, Blessed be the name of God from age to age, 
for wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons, deposes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. To you, O God of my ancestors, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power, and you have now revealed to me what we asked of you, for you have revealed to us what the king ordered. And after this, we find in verse 24, Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon, and he said to them, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will give the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly, he came and brought Daniel before the king and said to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who can tell the king the interpretation. And in verse 26, the king said to Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king, no wise men, enchanter, magician, or diviner can show to the king the mystery that the king is asking. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has disclosed to King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen at the end of days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed were these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts that would be hereafter. And the revealer of mysteries disclosed to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me because of any wisdom that I have more than any other living being, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. You were looking, O king, and lo, there was a great statue. This statue was huge, its brilliance extraordinary. It was standing before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of the statue was that of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partially of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked on, a stone was cut out, not by human hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay, and it broke them into pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken into pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, and not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory, and into those whose hand he has given human beings wherever they live, the wild animals of the field, the birds of the air, and whom he has established as ruler over them all, you are the head of gold. And after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over the whole earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strongest iron, and just as iron crushes and smashes everything, it shall crush and shatter all these. And as you saw the feet and the toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the strength of iron shall be in it, as you saw in the iron mixed with the clay. And as the toes of the feet were part iron and clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. And as you saw the iron mixed with clay, they will also mix with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together just as the iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, 
The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall this kingdom be left to another people. It shall crush all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. It shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from the mountain, not by hands, and it came and it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has informed the king what shall be hereafter. This dream is certain, and its interpretation trustworthy. And then in verse 46, King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face. He worshipped Daniel and commanded that a grain offering and incense be offered to him. The king said to Daniel, Truly your God is a God of gods, and a Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him a great many gifts, and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and a chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. So there it is. It's a long chapter. Daniel chapter 2. We have made it through it. Nebuchadnezzar, in this text, he made an extremely unreasonable demand. And just for a little insight to where this message is going, what actually is of the utmost importance in this dream is not actually the dream. What was most important in Nebuchadnezzar's life wasn't actually the dream. It was just the thing that gathered everyone's attention. But Nebuchadnezzar, he made a very, very unreasonable demand. Not only did he come to people and demand that his wise men tell him the meaning of this dream, but they, almost, they must also be able to read his mind to figure out what the dream was. And if they do not, they're going to face a very, very brutal death. Nebuchadnezzar is holding his own counselors hostage with an impossible riddle. He has demanded that they win an undefined game or be executed. If you can imagine your family bringing you over and saying, we're going to play a board game, and if you don't win, we will kill you. And by the way, we're not going to tell you what board game we're playing. We're not even going to let you see the board, the pieces, or anything. We're just going to give you a few dice, and you roll them around, and if it doesn't work out just right, it's all over. The sad thing is there's only one rule that Nebuchadnezzar placed in his game, and that was the rule of death. Chaos is the only constant in Nebuchadnezzar's proposition. And this is quite unreasonable to say the least. But nonetheless, if we're honest, Nebuchadnezzar is not doing something that's actually unique to the human condition. Quite often, we see unreasonable demands being made throughout our world. People do things that are unreasonable, and even we ourselves do things that are unreasonable. We make demands of others, and then we demand others go along with what we're saying, what we're feeling, how we feel in that impulse, or we say we will make them suffer. Really, the only unique thing about Nebuchadnezzar's action is the fact that they are taken to an extreme. A lot of us say harsh things that we don't mean when we get in arguments, but Nebuchadnezzar, he actually has the power to carry out his vicious words to a very bad place. And not only does he have the power to carry out his vicious words, but he can do that without any worldly consequence. Or at least not any immediate worldly consequence. He's not held accountable to, to his fellow men like many of his servants are. But nonetheless, as he will find out, he is nonetheless accountable to God. So think about the times when you have been faced with something unreasonable in life. Has anyone ever said something to you that's just outright unreasonable on its face? Someone made a demand that is just impossible to meet? Have you ever said something unreasonable to someone else? Have you ever made an impossible demand? These things truly do happen quite often, and it's not uncommon for the worst versions of this to take place in our own homes. 
Sometimes we expect others to read our minds when we are in arguments, and sometimes we say things we don't mean, and we make terrible statements. What Nebuchadnezzar is doing is not something that is unique. We do this ourselves, although the versions that happen in our lives, they hopefully are on a smaller scale, or at least appear to be on a smaller scale, but nonetheless, they can bring chaos, they can inflict suffering on those whom we love and trust. It's worth noting that Nebuchadnezzar is not playing this game of chaos with his enemies, but he is playing this game with those whom he trusts and those from whom he seeks counsel. To be frank, Nebuchadnezzar is merely a man, just like the rest of us. We're all either a, a son of Adam, a daughter of Eve. We're a man or woman created in the image of God. Nebuchadnezzar, he's just a man like the rest of us, but he's a very powerful king. Many of us are fully given over to the craven nature of sin. In fact, we're naturally given over to that craven nature of sin. Nebuchadnezzar is merely a man given over to the craven nature of sin who happens to be a powerful king. And in this episode of Biblical Wisdom, we are presented with an issue of how we meet unreasonable demands. Now, Daniel has no option to ignore the face of reason that is set before him, and God's hand of providence blesses Daniel despite the great task. And it's worth noting that Daniel is given unearthly wisdom. He's given something which is not one of the rules found here on this earth. It's one that transcends life here on earth. Throughout the Bible, we're given the language of having eyes to see and ears to hear. And this is a very important concept. Having eyes to see and ears to hear is neither about intelligence nor having finely tuned senses. It's about having a heart that is given over to God. And it lives by the rule of truth as opposed to the rule of chaos. Daniel's eyes that see and ears that hear, they inform him about the truth of this moment. And Nebuchadnezzar's demand is not really about the dream. That's only the mask that it wears. Nebuchadnezzar himself is not really aware of what will satisfy his demands. Hence, he has constructed such a wildly irrational, unreasonable riddle. There are so many questions and so many blanks in Nebuchadnezzar's request. And if you were ever to sit down and try to figure out, well, what's the blank here? What's the blank here? You would never get anywhere. And the truth is, you just don't play that game. The godly wisdom for this moment requires a totally different discipline, or as I might say, a set of disciplines. If we spend too much time trying to fill in the blanks of an impossible riddle, you're only going to get distracted and have yourself spinning your wheels in the dirt. So that's where we get to our antidote, and that's where we're shifting gears here to figure out how we solve these impossible situations. So for starters, you don't pay attention to the things which have too many blanks to fill in, the things which are in, definitively impossible. Not saying we don't be inquisitive and investigate, but something like figuring out someone's mind, that is definitively impossible to do. We're not mind readers. We're not God. As Daniel says, no man, no enchanter, no Chaldean or diviner can solve this. That, it just can't be done. But nonetheless, the situation can be navigated. The true riddle can be solved but it takes godly disciplines. There are three disciplines in particular of Daniel's life that have given him eyes to see and ears to hear. And this is important. We as a generation, my generation especially, we were taught not to have eyes to hear and not to have, or eyes to see and not to have ears that hear. We have things floating around our world like political correctness, which are pretty much designed to keep people from having eyes that see and ears to hear. Daniel, he has eyes to see and ears to hear because he had three disciplines. And let's talk about those. The first discipline Daniel has is that he has structured his life to be blessed. 
The second discipline he has is that he is willing to trust in God's revelation. And the third discipline he has is that he was willing to apply godly wisdom even though it was risky. And now I know I went through that list pretty quickly. I'll read through it again, and then we're going to break them down and spend some time talking about each. Daniel was one. He was willing to structure his life in a way that facilitated blessing. So he was structuring his life to be blessed. Two, he was willing to trust in God's revelation. And three, he was willing to apply godly wisdom, even though it was risky. So regarding the first discipline, Daniel had structured his life to be blessed. And what that means is Daniel had lived a life devoted to God. This wasn't just a crisis moment came and he decided this would be the first time he ever turned to God. Of course, when a crisis comes, God wants us to turn to him. But Daniel had already had a long life devoted to God. In fact, we find that Daniel is a man devoted to God his entire life. We've only had one chapter with him so far, but nonetheless, he has lived a life devoted to God. And long before this moment, what we find is that Daniel is making decisions. Every time his life was presented with a choice, he makes a choice that lines up with the divine image. And by doing that, he is structuring his life for blessing. Every time we make choices that line up with the divine image, we are structuring our life for God's blessing. When we make choices that line up with being the image of God and the righteous, holy choices, we find that providence and the hand of providence is blessing us with wisdom that can navigate impossible situations. It is very important how we structure our lives for God's blessing. The more we make choices that line up with God's wisdom, the more we're going to find blessing down the road. The more we make choices that line up with sin and chaos, the more we're going to find sin and chaos down the road. Who would have ever been able to predict such an unreasonable thing as the situation with Nebuchadnezzar's dream? It's something that's chaotic. It appeared down the road, but it wasn't something that was produced out of Daniel's own mouth. It was something that didn't come out of his heart, but it was something that was thrust upon him. And because he has had that life structured for blessing, he has the hand of providence there with him and the wisdom to navigate these difficult waters. He was handed a game that was impossible to predict, and the only antidote to it was being right with God on the front end so that Daniel would have those righteous eyes to see and those righteous ears to hear when he was presented with the face of unreason. He's able to see clearly. And just one last note on this before we get to the second discipline. Daniel was able to look at this situation and say, this really isn't about the dream. This is about the uncertainty in Nebuchadnezzar's life. Because he has made those choices that line up with God's wisdom, he now has wisdom in his life and he can see clearly what's in front of him. He's not going to be distracted with trying to figure out and play the guessing game. He's going to be seeing clearly what the actual problem is. So for the second discipline, Daniel has to trust in God's revelation to get through this. Now this is something which is unearthly. It requires a supernatural element. And when I say supernatural, I'm not meaning that it's, you know, a ghost or boogeyman. I'm just meaning it's one that is not human power. In order for us to have eyes to see and ears to hear, we're going to have to trust in God's revelation. Now, it's important to note here that God's revelation comes to us in a manner of ways. God reveals things to us through Scripture. And the great wisdom that has been handed down to us is a product of God's revelation. God reveals things to us directly, as we find here in the story of Daniel, but we don't have to sit around and play the game that says, well, an angel didn't appear to me with the name Gabriel, so God hasn't revealed anything to me. No, that that's, doesn't cut it. God has been revealing things to us for a long time in his holy scriptures. There are so many things which are handed through us if we will just simply trust in them. God gives us things through conviction, and sometimes we have to listen to that still, small voice, which is often overlooked. So that's the second discipline. Daniel is willing to trust in the 
the things of God's revelation. And the third discipline that Daniel employs is that he's actually willing to apply the righteous wisdom in the world around him. Having the details of the dream, they weren't necessary to gather credibility with Nebuchadnezzar, but that also wasn't enough. And you even find this with how Daniel speaks about all this. He gives the, the, the details, but he realizes this just isn't enough. He has to be able to apply the wisdom and go somewhere meaningful. Daniel must also produce a meaningful solution to supply Nebuchadnezzar with what he's looking for. But the truth is that so many times in life, even when we have the, the wisdom, we go before someone like Nebuchadnezzar and we're scared that we might be wrong, so maybe we say nothing at all. Sometimes we, we create justifications. We say, well, I'm going to do whatever's convenient. You know, it's not convenient for me to take the wisdom of stewardship because I want to make that impulse purchase right now. Um, yeah, I can slip a few nickels and dimes here or there, so I'm just going to ignore the biblical wisdom on finances. Or maybe it comes with other things. We don't want to have confrontation, so we let someone's bad behavior off the hook. We say, well, I'm not going to call them out on that, what they're doing. You know, it's, it's not biblical, but I don't want to have confrontation. Well, it, it comes back to bite you in the end. It always does. Maybe we decide we want to just satisfy our wants or simply go along with whatever justification comes our way that is presented to us by the world. In the end, whenever we choose to ignore the wisdom, it's going to come back to bind us. And Daniel does something which cannot be dismissed. Daniel has the wisdom, he has the knowledge, he has the revelation, and he's actually willing to apply them, to go the extra mile and says, I'm not just going to have this fun theory, I'm going to go out into the world and make it work. Um, I, I realized there was a hole in my roof, and instead of putting a bucket under it so the water will get caught, I know I've got to do the difficult work of getting up on the roof and fixing the shingles. Daniel is willing to go the extra mile and not just do a quick fix somewhere. He goes all the way in. So those are the three disciplines which we need to have in our life. Life is going to give us impossible situations. There are going to be circumstances that seem to be governed only by the rule of chaos. And these situations, they will continue to be ruled by chaos if God's wisdom is absent. We need the eyes to see and the ears that hear that Daniel displayed for us. We need to adopt these disciplines modeled by Daniel here in chapter 2. And to give one final look at that list, we must first structure our lives to be blessed. Make those choices which line up with God rather than sin. We must secondly trust in God's revelation, including that revelation which has come to us through Scripture and handed down from us. But that also means we don't rule out those more direct revelations and convictions. And number three, we must be willing to apply the wisdom of God in our lives. Because it's not an easy thing to do. In truth, the world hates when we apply biblical wisdom. It's a lot easier to sit at home and say, well, I have these biblical principles and I believe them. I'm not going to go out and apply them in the world. It's very easy to do that. But what we need to be doing as a church is going out and affirmatively applying biblical wisdom. And if we adopt this biblical model, we will find God giving us eyes to see and ears to hear. So that's where we're going to wrap up our message for today. I thank you for joining me. Again, I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and let us close by saying the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. With that, God love you, and have a blessed day.